I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined by Matt Fortuna and special guest, Jesse Temple, our Wisconsin beat reporter at The Athletic, to talk all things Jack Cohn uh, as Notre Dame picks up a graduate transfer in the quarterback market, which is something they absolutely needed. Um, and I think the Wisconsin quarterback of interest for Notre Dame fans was Graham Mertz for quite a while uh, as a former recruiting target, but now it's Jack Cohn. And I guess Jesse, in a from a big picture sense, like, What's Notre Dame getting here? For people who have not seen him play, um, what kind of quarterback is Notre Dame adding to the roster? Well, I have to say, first of all, that I think this is a total home run for Notre Dame that needed a veteran quarterback that can bring in a guy who's got 18 starts under his belt. And in any other situation, if if Wisconsin had lost a guy who, who entered the transfer portal, I'd probably say... I'd question what it is that somebody was getting because that means you're not good enough to play at Wisconsin. That certainly wasn't the case with the Badgers. He, he started every game last year, led him to the Rose Bowl, and what Notre Dame's getting is just a, a steady Eddie guy. Uh, that's his presence. Not He never gets too high, never gets too low, but his leadership really came through last season, and all of his teammates praised him effusively for some of the things that he was able to do. And he, he was in an interesting spot at Wisconsin because when he came here, Alex Hornibrook was the guy, a veteran quarterback, and in 2018, Hornibrook was dealing with some head injuries, and Cone stepped in, and he started four games toward the end of the season. Those were the first starts of his career. And I think this will tell you a little bit about what kind of a team guy Jack is. When it, Wisconsin was playing in the pinstripe bowl, they were about to play Miami. Cone was sitting on four games played. Under this new NCAA rule, you can play in up to four games to retain a year of eligibility. The whole plan that year was that they were going to try to make sure that Jack wouldn't play more than four games unless absolutely necessary so he could retain that year of eligibility. He played in that bowl game. He played a fifth game, so he lost that year of eligibility because he he wanted to be a part of it. He wanted to help the team as much as he could, and I think that says a lot about him because, I, I quite honestly, if I was 18 to 22 or 23, um, maybe I'd want to play in that game, but I may also consider my future and say, forget what's going on this season. I want that entire extra year of eligibility, and he didn't have that, so... Um, that's one thing that I think is worth noting, but just the leadership aspect and the toughness too. Because last year he dealt with uh, some injuries. He had a high ankle sprain. He played through it. No one ever knew anything about it, really. And he still was very solid, put together one of the most underrated seasons by a quarterback in the history of the program. Notre Dame will now have probably back-to-back starters who are in the last two Rose Bowls, albeit in different places with Jack Cohn and Ian Buck. Uh, what did, I mean, people... Like you said, I mean, it's hard to go underrated when you have the kind of success that Jack Cohn had at Wisconsin, but you know, he took them to the Rose Bowl. He, he was a really good starter. What did he do well for, for that team? I know they had some tough losses, but how was he a difference maker for them? Well, the first thing that stands out is protecting the football for the most part. That was an issue for Wisconsin when Alex Hornibrook was here and Jack stepped in 
and he really delivered last year. He he finished the season, he completed 69.6% of his passes, which was in the top 10 in the FBS. It was the third best mark in school history for a single season. And he threw for 2,727 yards. That was also the third best mark. 18 touchdowns and just five interceptions. So if you go back and you look at his numbers, the the interception to number of throws rate is excellent. And so he, he generally didn't beat himself. And I think that's one thing that stands out that he did well last year. But it's also the some of the intangible things, the, the ability to rally the team and the leadership. And like I said, the, the toughness. And I also think one thing that stood out was in big moments, he delivered at some critical times. I think of the game, Wisconsin played Michigan last year, and they went for it on fourth down. And he dropped in a perfect fourth down pass down the right sideline for a first down. And he had a couple nice runs against Michigan. And that was a, a, a statement game for Cone and Wisconsin. And the other game that stands out to me last year, Wisconsin was playing Minnesota. I guess last year is 2019. All the days blend together now. <laughs> but they were playing Minnesota in the regular season finale. And the winner would go represent the Big Ten West play Ohio State in the conference championship game, and there was a swirling snowstorm, and he dropped in two beautiful passes to Quintez Cephas, who was the team's star receiver. One of them was a 47-yard touchdown cut right through a snowstorm, and so it's just this unflappability in those big moments, and when you're at Notre Dame, there's a lot of big moments, so like I said, I just think it's a critical pickup for the Fighting Irish. I was talking to his high school coach today about, um, you know, just sort of his, his personality, not not too big into social media or self-promotion, which is sort of like a mandated thing for quarterbacks in 2020. Um, is he, does he sort of like cut against the grain in that way? And I'm curious getting to know him a little bit and knowing people that know him, like Notre Dame is sort of a high publicity program. Um, everything is always a big deal here all the time. Uh, how, how does that sort of strike you as a fit for Cone? Well, ultimately, I think what's going to matter for him is the football aspect of it and what his teammates think of Mm -hmm. him. And in that regard, I think he's going to thrive because he puts in the work, because he's talented. But you're right. Anybody who saw that tweet with the Notre Dame logo of him saying, let's get to work. If you look at his profile, the last time he even retweeted anything was in the middle of 2017. So Twitter, social media, not his bag, very anti-2021. But that's okay. And just his personality, when he first got here, he was fairly quiet, didn't say a whole lot, even in interview sessions. I think a lot of times when we cover kids who were 18 to 23, you can see the natural maturation, right? When they're freshmen, Mm -hmm. sometimes this is not their specialty. But when you are a starting quarterback, when you start 18 games, you become ultimately the face of the program. And they bring you out every week to talk about you and the team. And he's gotten much better at that and much more comfortable, I think, so... You know, while you may not necessarily always get the most colorful quote or something that's going to lead your story, um, he's gotten much better at that. And like I said, from a football perspective, I think he's going to command the respect of the guys because it's the things he does behind the scenes. I remember writing a story about him before his junior season in, in 2019 about how he developed into a better leader. And this was after Alex Hornibrook had transferred to Florida State. So Jack knew he was quite likely going to be the starter. He made a point every day to sit in the meal room with a different player on the team so he could get to know them. He made a point to schedule activities with guys outside the football complex. And the whole idea was that if he was going to be a leader of the team, he needed to know these guys better. And I think that stood out going into the season. So, again, it may not be 
on the surface the stuff you see in the interviews, but it's what he's doing behind the scenes that's going to give him an opportunity to succeed at Notre Dame, just as he did at Wisconsin. In that same vein, behind the scenes, I know you can only gather so much from a distance with everything you know, being by Zoom and not having any in-person interviews or practice opportunities. But what do you think this year was like for him? Obviously, it was a crushing blow to to, to get hurt right before the season started. I know Notre Dame did their homework, and, and you know, I think he, he could have played at the end, was healthy enough to play at the end um, if everyone wanted to do that. But, but what do you think the season was like for him? I'm sure it was tough, but any intel on how he handled that and, and you know how eventually that will benefit him at Notre Dame? Yeah, so this was a really fascinating year in general in college football, mm-hmm. but but for Wisconsin at the quarterback position, very rarely, if ever, certainly not in my 10 seasons on this beat, have there been two quarterbacks as good or, or at, with as high of a ceiling as Jack Cohn and Graham Mertz, who Pete mentioned at the outset that Notre Dame and everybody else wanted in the 2019 class. Jack went into this season and he was going to be the starter. And then he suffered a foot injury in preseason practice in a non-contact situation, which required surgery. So obviously he wasn't able to play, and that allowed Graham Mertz the opportunity to step in and start. Well, if anybody watched the first game of Wisconsin's season, you thought this Graham Mertz kid might be a Heisman Trophy contender. It was one of the most incredible performances I've ever seen by a Wisconsin quarterback. And I know that sounds like hyperbole, but he came out and he completed 20 of 21 passes for 248 yards with five touchdowns and no interceptions. At that point, I think everyone was thinking there's just no way that Jack Cohn can come back and play again, even if he's healthy, because... Mertz is the future of the quarterback position at Wisconsin. He was a redshirt freshman this year, and because everyone got a free year of eligibility, he'll be a third-year freshman next year, so he'll still have four years of eligibility. And I, I, for people who are listening and don't know much about Mertz, he's the highest-rated quarterback recruit Wisconsin has ever had. He's a four-star player, um, could have gone basically anywhere, but he picked Wisconsin. And then he struggled a lot in midseason. The offense was decimated by injuries and COVID-19 issues, and I think then it's you started to wonder, well, if Jack is healthy, will he play? And, you know, we're not there in the meetings behind the scenes with the coaches. But I think it became pretty clear that at a certain point, the coaching staff had to make an extremely important decision about the future of this pro- program. Is Jack Cohn going to get his starting spot back if he's healthy? Or is Graham Mertz going to be our guy in the future? Well... Jack got to a point where he too had to make a decision, and Paul Chris, the head coach at Wisconsin, said that Jack came to him before the Iowa game, which was later in the season, and said that he wanted to transfer. And so I can uh, derive from that that the coaches decided that Graham was going to be their guy, or if Jack was healthy, he was going to split time with Graham, and basically the coaching staff couldn't guarantee that Jack would get his starting spot back, even if he was healthy. And that's why Jack sought another opportunity, which you certainly can't fault him for. The guy has Mm -hmm. 18 starts. The guy is worthy of being a starter somewhere. And if it wasn't going to be at Wisconsin with him graduating, he needed to have another opportunity. Here's the last thing I'll say about that. And and I think it shows what kind of teammate Jack is, which is something that's been uh, a theme here that I've been discussing. He obviously stuck around through the end of the season. He was in uniform, which I think confused a lot of people, including reporters, because we were wondering, well, if he's in uniform and the offense is struggling, why isn't he playing? But he was going to transfer. After the Minnesota game, which was the last game of the regular season, Chase Wolf was the backup quarterback. He came in and helped lead a victory because Graham Mertz got hurt. One of the final images from Jack in a Wisconsin uniform is him embracing Chase Wolf, and it's, it's on camera. Um, and you can see just the love and the joy 
in, in Jack. And also there was an understanding that that was going to be it for Cone because the next day he entered the transfer right. portal. But the quarterback supported him and they loved him and the respect was there. So I think that's another important element. But there's no question this was one of the most challenging seasons of Cone's football career. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You know, one part of... You were talking about the intangibles with Cohen. I was curious about like the football IQ part because you can correct me if I'm wrong on this. Like he he enrolled early and was immediately the number two, like behind Hornybrook, which you know clearly you have to have a, a pretty good handle on how to manage a, a college sophisticated offense at that point. Like what what is it about Cohen that stands out to you in terms of his understanding of the game? And I mean, even going back to his freshman year, was it was it a surprise that he? was number two out of the gate. It really wasn't all that big of a surprise. Um, there was another quarterback here named Caray Lyles, and he was a year older, and Jack came for spring practice and was just the better quarterback. And that was mm-hmm. back when Wisconsin had a spring game. Uh, they've kind of stopped doing it in that format, and obviously there was no spring practice in 2020. But Jack just outplayed him for those 15 practices, including the spring game, and it was obvious from that point forward that Jack was going to be the number two, and Lyles ultimately transferred out of the program. So... From that perspective, it wasn't a huge surprise because we got to watch him. But you're right. For a freshman to come in and put himself in that position says a lot about his intelligence and his ability. And I think sometimes, let's just say Long Island in the New York area isn't necessarily a a hotbed of football recruiting, especially not for quarterbacks. I mean, I know his high school coach had to um, contact a lot of people to say, I've got this guy up here who's pretty darn good. And Wisconsin went out and it worked out for, for Conan for the Badgers. But he did a lot of really good things in high school. You look at his numbers, and and they're incredible. And he didn't just do it through the air. He ran for a ton of yards in high school. And so when he got here, there's always an adjustment because a lot of these schools operate out of shotgun spread offenses, Mm -hmm. and Wisconsin ran a pro-style offense. But Wisconsin also did some things out of the shotgun, out of the pistol with Jack to kind of enhance the skill set that he already had. I think he, he does well either way, but when he's... Getting the ball out of the shotgun or the pistol, he seems to do a really good job because that was one of the areas that helped him thrive when he first started in 2018 late in the season. He had a, he helped lead a comeback against Purdue that Wisconsin won in triple overtime because Jonathan Taylor ran for a million yards. But he threw two touchdown passes to Danny Davis late in the game out of the, out of the shotgun. And so um, I think as long as Notre Dame can utilize his strengths, that's helpful. But you're right, it's it's the intelligence and the ability to communicate and all the things you need from a quarterback that he demonstrated at a young age, which gave him a chance in the first place. One sport Long Island is a hotbed in is lacrosse. Uh, and Jack Kong was a pretty darn good lacrosse player in high school. He initially committed to Notre Dame as a lacrosse player before obviously going to, to, 
choosing Wisconsin for football. What do you remember about his recruitment? Uh, any notable twists and turns aside from that obvious one? And and you know, did, did anyone see this kind of success coming from a guy who looked like he wasn't going to play college football for a while? Yeah, um, I wrote a story many years ago for ESPN about uh, his recruitment that I kind of want to look up just to remember because it was a million years ago. But um, you're right. I mean, lacrosse is sort of what they have out in New York. And, and lacrosse is so much different from football because kids are committing before their freshman year of high school or like during their freshman year of high school. There's a Wisconsin has a recruit in this latest recruiting class uh, who was a hockey player who committed when he was a freshman. So some of these sports are so much different and they develop differently. Uh, but ultimately, football was, you know, what he was going to excel at most. And, and obviously, we're seeing it. But I think so his high school coach is Rob Haas out in Sayville, New York. And um, I'm looking at this story that I wrote and it was basically like, Haas was trying to contact all these schools to tell him that he had this guy who was really good. And he said he would he would pull out his laptop and he would email coaches, you name a conference, SEC, MAC, Big Ten, Conference USA, and send them the information, the heights, the weights, the 40-yard dash times, the high school transcripts. And he said he would just bombard people. And then eventually some coaches came out and watched and Wisconsin was one of them. I think they came out and it was the middle of a snowstorm and they saw his ability to throw and that's kind of how it took off. But yeah, I mean, it took a little while and it took, it took his high school coach pestering a lot of places because we're not talking about a quarterback that's doing it in Georgia or Texas or Florida. And I think sometimes maybe schools wonder how good a guy can be if he's doing it up in long Island, but he was pretty darn good. Looking ahead to the season, um, Wisconsin Notre Dame Soldier Field end of September. What do you think that is going to be like for Wisconsin fans for Cone? I mean, Notre Dame had its own little like reunion bowl last year when uh, Phil Jakovic and Ian Book faced off um, Notre Dame Boston College. But you know, I get the sense. I was talking to Haas this morning, and I mean, he said that Cone like really left Wisconsin on good terms. Um, that. So I guess you sort of see that matchup. I mean, that'll just be more of like a, a fun sidebar reunion more than anything else. Um, what what do you anticipate there? Yeah, it's not a situation where there's a, any type of animosity or the fans have some hostility toward Cone. He did everything he was supposed to do here. He helped mm-hmm. this team win games. Like we've talked about, he led him to a Rose Bowl, got him to a Big Ten championship game, and ultimately left on good terms. And he left because he needed and wanted and deserved an opportunity to play and wasn't going to get that at Wisconsin in the capacity that he wanted. And so I think that the fan base here has a lot of respect for Cone and the way he handled things uh, and the way things ended amicably. And it's not always like that. I mean, yeah. the, the the last quarterback that Wisconsin had, Alex Hornibrook, probably generated a little more controversy from fans just because he was here a little longer and maybe didn't always live up to the expectations that they had for him. So when he transferred to Florida State, there was probably a little more animosity might be even too strong of a word but there's just absolutely zero that with cone i think people were just like we wish you the best of luck and hopefully you do well except when you play wisconsin so hopefully hopefully that game happens because as we know there were no non-conference games in the big 10 this year and wisconsin was supposed to play notre dame at lambeau field brian kelly's had seven different starting quarterbacks his 11 years at notre dame Uh, only one of them has started as a true freshman that's a guy who's really smart because he's now the offense coordinator tommy reese who will also be coaching Jack Cohn when he gets to South Bend. Uh, for whatever reason, I mean, I think, you know, obviously there's a heavy academic workload. Uh, it's a heavy playbook, et cetera. Like, it just has not been a place conducive to a guy walking right in 
and taking the starting job. Obviously, the situations are different when you're a graduate student coming in who's already played a lot of college football. How do you see, just based on your experience covering him and, and talking about what he did when he first became a starter there, how do you see him walking into South Bend and breaking bread with his new teammates and doing the things necessary to uh, win everyone over off the field before going out there and presumably being the starter because right now he, he's, he's the oldest and most and only proven one? I really think he's going to step right in there and do very well, and it's for some of the reasons I mentioned before. He's not—he's not the big rah-rah guy. He's not going to get on there and give you the speech, you know, the Tim Tebow speech after Florida lost, the stuff that you're going to remember decades from now. But it's what he's doing behind the scenes, and I think there is a willingness to develop relationships. And certainly, when you're at a new school, and if you think you're going to be the starting quarterback, you have to figure out a way how to do that. And I just think it's the worth it work ethic that he's going to put in that's going to catch the attention of teammates like this guy is here he wants to win he wants to help us and honestly i think that's going to rally the team and it's also his performance i mean you're if you're continually beating yourself and you're making mistakes then you're going to open the door for some of these other younger guys to potentially take the job i just don't really see that happening and if jack hadn't have gotten hurt this year I don't know that Graham necessarily would have taken the job from Jack. I mean, maybe it would have been a, a situation because the offense was struggling so much, which was out of the control of the quarterback, that they gave Graham an opportunity. So those are some of the things that I think are going to stand out and that Jack is going to do well in. I, I really, I think he's going to do very well. And the proof is in the pudding. He's got those 18 starts. You just look at the numbers that he had in 2019. And, you know, if I think that there was one area that people maybe wanted to see more of in his junior year, it was taking some more downfield shots. But he showed that he could do that. And Wisconsin had a big-time number one receiver in Quintez Cephas, who's now an NFL player with the Detroit Lions. And so when Jack had that type of talent around him, he took advantage of it. Yeah, it was interesting to watch his highlights. It seemed like he, Jack had the sort of confidence to push the ball vertically like down the sidelines when he was throwing to Cephas. And you know, Notre Dame didn't really have that kind of receiver last year, but in theory um, they should next season when some guys get healthy and some younger guys develop. But um, I guess, Jesse, before I let you go, like, is there anything else like that is like the quintessential Jack Cohn anecdote or story over, you know, three, four years of covering this guy or is, you know, is this kind of like uh, as almost like a anecdote free guy because uh, he's just so low key. Um, doesn't really seem to be like a guy that is going to be out in front and talking about himself a whole lot. Here's the one thing that I can think of right off the top is that during the 2019 season when he was helping the team succeed, there was a day during media availability after a game where several of the offensive linemen walked in with these red t-shirts that said Jackie Heisman on them, which is the total antithesis antithesis of who Jack is. And like Jack was asked about it and laughed it off and played it cool. But like, that's the type of thing that he would rather be anywhere else than have his offensive linemen promoting him with Jackie Heisman t-shirts. So that's one story that comes to mind. But I think it also shows you how beloved he was by his teammates that you've got the O-lineman coming in to uh, to do that and to promote him to the media. So that that's one thing that stands out. As you say that, I got an email from betonline.com listing Gray Mertz and Kyron Williams at 16-1 to 1 for next year's Heisman. No Jack Cohn listed, but maybe we could start the Jackie 2021 campaign here on the Shamrock. Uh, before you go, Jesse, for Jesse and Pete, did either of you see this coming in the days before? Because it happened so quickly, and it made a lot of sense where I think you know, it was easy for a lot of us to look at a fit, look at a need, and, and put two and two together. But you know, everyone I talked to at Notre Dame last time this happened was like, no, it's, it's what you expected. Like, we need a, a, an experienced quarterback. He needed a home. 
uh, we're vaguely familiar with him before. Perfect fit. Nothing more to it. I mean, did anyone see this coming in the days before? I mean, he was somebody that I speculated about with people a month or two ago because it just like it just made too much sense. Um, I mean, Notre Dame was like they open at Florida State next year to throw out either a junior with a bad knee, a sophomore who's thrown about ten passes, or a true freshman who hasn't played high school football in a year and a half or two years at that point. Just didn't make a whole lot of sense. So it's like I think that. In some ways, Notre Dame needs Jack Cohn more than the other way around. Um, but there's some familiarity with the school. I, I think it's I think it's a great fit for Notre Dame. It sounds cliche to say it's the perfect fit, but it really is. I mean, Notre Dame couldn't have done any better in the in getting a transfer, and, and Jack couldn't have gone to a better place where he's going to have an opportunity to thrive right away. When you are a graduate transfer, you have to do your homework because you have limited amount of time. You've got to look at the roster and see, do I fit in and will I be able to play? And I think Jack's going to do that. And it obviously didn't take very long because Jack entered the transfer portal the day after Wisconsin's regular season finale, and it took about, what, two weeks until he ultimately picked Notre Dame. So the fact that there was familiarity from the outset that he had committed to there way back when to play lacrosse and the fact that they had a need and, and Jack can step in, it really, it's just a, a, a perfect fit for both sides. And no, I know Badgers fans will wish Jack the best of luck and I do think he's going to perform well. Awesome. Jesse, thanks for joining us, especially at short notice. Hopefully you can start your off season uh, now, although the transfer portal and the eligibility rules are going to keep us all a lot busier than we've been in previous off-seasons. Uh, thanks again for joining us. Uh, look forward to having you again sometime when uh, Nerding plays Wisconsin in 2021. I hope so. I'll look forward to it. Thanks, guys. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That was our Wisconsin beat reporter, Jesse Temple, joining the Shamrock to talk a little Jack Cohn. Um, We will definitely be talking to him again in September as uh, Badgers Irish gets closer at Soldier Field. It should be be a good one. Uh, Matt, I I don't know. was, Was there any big takeaway about Jack Cohn? He sounds sort of... I hate to use the term central casting uh, for Notre Dame, but like pretty close to that in terms of if Notre Dame's going to take a graduate transfer quarterback, it's going to be somebody almost exactly like Jack Cohn. Yeah, aside from Jesse uh, erroneously throwing Long Island in with the rest of the New York area with, as a lacrosse hotbed, um, I, I think we learned a little more about his personality. We, we pretty much understood going into this that it probably wasn't the most, I don't want to say most dynamic, but you know you could see his social media, you could see the quotes from teammates throughout the course of the last few years like he's not a rah-rah guy but but I think um the way he handled everything both 2017 which I was unaware of with the pinstripe bowl I think it was against Miami Mm -hmm. and this year when he was hurt um I think lends credence to that central casting narrative right like you need a team first guy if you're going to bring in an outsider to quarterback and lead your team for one year you can't just have a higher gun who's looking to boost his NFL stock and get out of there. That's not going to work at a place like Notre Dame, especially at a place that's coming off a college football playoff appearance. So uh, that was very valuable insight from Jesse. I'm interested because, you know, Notre Dame got a grad transfer from the Big Ten West last year um, who had a foot-ankle injury and missed his senior season. 
who was also sort of a captain and a big big leader. Um, but the reason Bennett Skoranek worked so well is that he had Ian Book to rely on. Like he had the quarterback here to really connect with and work with and do flashcards with. And I don't really know what that connection is going to be for Jack Cohn. Like what's his, what's the first relationship he has to make after Tommy Reese? Um, you know, do you spend time with Jared Patterson? Well, he might be moving from center to left tackle. Do you hang out with Kyron Williams? Like, do you need a good relationship with your running back? Who's, who's the receiver you're really connecting with? Um, I don't know. I, I don't know the answers to those things. And that's, I think quarterback is tricky uh, for a graduate transfer at a place like this. Um, they absolutely should have done it. I think this is a, a no-brainer thing to do. But the transition part, I mean, look, we've seen Notre Dame quarterbacks when they leave Notre Dame to do grad transfers. It's kind of a mixed bag. Um, you know, it would be Malik Zaire, Everett Golson, Dane Christ, Andrew Hendricks, um, Brandon Wimbush, you know, Phil Jakovic, not a grad transfer, but a regular transfer. It's just, it's a t- it, it's not an automatic thing, even if sometimes it looks like it's going to be automatic. It's not, and I think there's a stigma around there for a while, right? Russell Wilson was kind of the first grad transfer um, mm-hmm. back in 2011. He goes from NC State to Wisconsin. They're one of the best teams in the country, and obviously we all know the career Russell Wilson went on to have, and, and I think there was a, a point there for the next five years or so where I think everyone in college football wanted the next Russell Wilson and thought they would get something like that in a best-case scenario when they hit the transfer market. Now, especially with these rules, like it's just – now it's just a way of doing business. Like I think most quarterback, Justin Fields, right? Um, you know, Jalen Hurts last year at Oklahoma. Uh, like you're probably as likely to be starting a transfer quarterback as you are a homegrown one at this point if you're a Power Five school. So I don't look at it as a, a stigma or why are they doing this or should they have just tried to develop from within. Like I just think this is college football in 2021, yeah. and you better get used to it. And this is the year to do that for Notre Dame for the reasons you said. I mean. Uh, a redshirt sophomore who's probably having knee surgery in the offseason. Uh, another guy, Andrew Pine, who everyone seems to like, but just hasn't played really any football. And a true freshman coming in that everyone's very excited about, but are you really going to put all your eggs in that basket? Especially for week one um, against a retooled offensive line with a bunch of guys on offense who outside of Kyron Williams, you don't really know. Um, so this is a perfect time to do it because – Tyler Buckner could be the second coming of Joe Montana. I, I will bet every dollar I have right now that if he's healthy, Jack Cohn's starting at least week one next year, um, as he probably should be because that's why he's transferring. That's why Notre Dame's taking him. Uh, as the season progresses, who knows? I mean, I think that would probably be a good problem to have if Tyler Buckner is showing enough behind the scenes to to challenge for for starting time as a true freshman. Uh, the, the one thing that's a little interesting, little interesting to me is you know for all the quarterback turmoil that Brian Kelly had during his first five years or so at Notre Dame, it's been pretty stable um, the last six years. I mean, he's stuck with one guy. I mean, Ian Book started every game the last two years. Uh, He started almost every game before that, and that was after he replaced Brandon Wimbush, who was starting almost every game the year before that, and you had basically two years of Deshaun Kaiser before that as well. So I know there haven't been any real Heisman. Book was top ten. I don't want to take that away from him. There haven't been any, like – first-team All-American, you know, crazy uh, can't-miss prospects who have been lighting up the scoreboard for Notre Dame at quarterback, but they've had this rare stretch of stability uh, the last six years there, for better or for worse. And I think 
even as a one-year rental, Jack Cohn keeps that streak alive, so to speak, even though he'll only be starting for one year. I agree. I mean, it's before last season was canceled uh, for Tyler Buckner, the vibe around Notre Dame was their hope was to go from Book straight to Buckner. And I think, look, if Tyler Buckner wins the job, I would think even more of him than I already do because he would have beaten out Jack Cohn to do it, um, which would be pretty damn impressive. Um, but I'm, I'm with you. It, it sort of really gives you some stability at a position where you need it. And, like, look, this, this year, and I'm not saying this is, like, this is neither a compliment nor a criticism of where Notre Dame is. Like, this year does feel sort of like bridge-ish to me for Notre Dame. Um, offensive line turns over. Quarterback turns over. Defensive end turns over. Defensive coordinator turns over. Um, you know, there's definitely a few guys in the transfer portal. Houston Griffith, Obeo Gofu, Jamie uh, Franklin already left. Isaiah Rutherford um, recently, too. It's um, There's going to be a lot of new faces on Notre Dame's roster next year. That's fine. Like you said, college football 2021, welcome to it. Um, but I, I think the, the Jack Cohn edition, I think, is, is really super sharp at a time when Notre Dame can work around the edges to try to to try to make next season, um, you know, kind of a, a I don't know a ten and two kind of season, like a New Year's Six Bowl kind of season. That would be that would be excellent for this team in terms of how it's built and what needs to be replaced. A Wisconsin kind of season, and they've just the guy to yeah. do that. But it's hard not to think of it in those terms, right? When you look at the roster, I mean, Avery Davis is probably your best and only receiver, true receiver, coming back. Look, he's had a fine career, especially considering where it started. But, like, they weren't particularly great at receiver this year. And they're only going to be worse next year, and they're going to have a new guy throwing those guys the ball. Now, the tight ends will continue to get better. Michael Mayer will be better. He'll be featured even more on the offense. Kyron Williams will be even better, although you know he's going to be going to have to get a little more creative probably without four of those five guys blocking for him up front. But like you said, it's, it's hard to – like, I, you look at the ceiling of – 2020 team and because of me they made the playoff you want to think it was national championship or at least maybe get into the national championship game if the seeds had shaken out a little bit different you look at next year um especially with that schedule and you know we, we've had this conversation before uh, playing in the acc was a lot easier than playing an independent schedule and next year they've got to play wisconsin at chicago Cincinnati, which is you know is a power five team, even if it's not in name. You go to Blacksburg, you get USC and Stanford back on the schedule. North Carolina is coming back to Notre Dame Stadium. Uh, they're going to be better. Uh, Navy, which is you know never an easy game, you know even in the preparation for it. It's just going to be even Toledo, who they're a Mac school, but they've been one of the better Mac programs under Jason Candle uh, every year. It's a tougher schedule. And it's, I don't know how you don't look at that roster and say it's maybe not significantly worse, but a considerable drop down from what they trotted out there in 2020. So you need uh, as much room to grow in season as possible, especially going into that Wisconsin game because you have three winnable games before that in Florida State's lead on Purdue where maybe you can find out who you are a little bit in those games. Yeah, I mean, what I would definitely push back on the notion that they're going to be worse at receiver. I, I think they'll be a lot better. Um are all those guys going to get healthy and actually play this year? <laughs> Just half of them need to, really. I mean, it's like whether it's Jordan Johnson, Xavier Watts, Braden Lindsey, Kevin Austin, Lawrence Keys. They just, you know, Avery Davis, hopefully he's back. I, they have too much there not 
for something to click. I mean, I, I wouldn't even include like Lorenzo Styles, Deion Colsey, um, and the next group of receivers that they have coming in. Like, they just need three guys to click from a group of about nine. Um, so I think that's going to happen. Uh, but, you know, it's like, will Kyron Williams be better? That would be tough to do with that offensive line. Will Chris Tyree would be better? Certainly, you would think he would be further along in year two. Michael Mayer, further along in year two. We'll see what happens with Tommy Tremble. Uh, but I know the staff is incredibly high on Kevin Ballman. You know, maybe he's the second tight end next year. We'll see. But it's um, but like I said, look, next year they're not they're not built to go twelve and zero next year. But I mean, you talk about the schedule. You start looking at it and be like, well, you know, they'll be favored there, they'll be favored there, they'll be favored there. You know, there's some tough games mm-hmm. on there for sure, but I think they'll pro- they may be favored in every game. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's fair looking at it now. Um, you there's, know, there's not you get you have Ohio State Clemson in 2022 and 2023, which for me at least I sort of view 2021 as like get everything in order, develop some young guys, so when 2022 comes around you are ready to go because um, I mean that, that 2022 and 2023 like to me those are like the end of the next cycle that they're about to start in the same way that last season was sort of the end of a two or three year cycle so it's you know Jack Cohn can can help you bridge that gap I think it's it's really shrewd um, and they need someone to help them bridge that gap I'm in I'll believe it when I see it road mode when it comes to these receivers just because we're expecting more from them from that group that junior class this year and we've seen instances where the light clicks on for a guy in his last year whether it's Jonas Gray running back Javon McKinley this year at receiver and I'm sure that'll happen for one of those guys and that'll be a big boon to the offense but I'm just not sure I'd, I'd, I'd rely on those guys to be better than what they had this year just yet uh I will say I've been as you break down that schedule and you know as you, you kind of talk me into it right saying oh they'll be favored here they'll be favored <laughs> there from a roster standpoint or I wouldn't say roster from a season standpoint I think the most down I've been on this team going into a year um, it, it all I've covered all but the first year of Brian Kelly the, the most negative if you will that I thought where I thought they, they weren't going to be all that good was 2012 and 2018. And they went undefeated in both those regular seasons, which tells you how much I know. Um, 2012, no one saw that coming. 2018, I, I just didn't think Brandon Wimbush would be the answer, and he wasn't. But, you know, thankfully for them, Ian Book came in and saved the day. Yeah. Uh, so maybe, you know, you look at this one, you, you kind of chicken scratch your way to a 6-0 start or something, and, and you start building confidence and momentum, and, and success breeds success, and they get better throughout the course of the season. They're going to have to get better throughout the course of the season because they're going to be a younger football team. Uh, but but there are no, there were weeks off in the ACC. Um, there aren't really many weeks off with this schedule, especially in the back end. Uh, it's a more traditional schedule. There's going to be a lot more mileage on you. And I know the world as we know it will hopefully be in a much better and different place come t- fall 2021 than it was fall 2020. And people will be happy to to to, to do that and work that way. But um, it's definitely much more strenuous and a lot more challenging. Whereas this year it was like, well, they're going to be in the ACC championship game. Will they beat the Clemson the first time or not? Will they be the one seed or the two seed? Yeah, I'm with you. It's like, I think they have a lot more um, games next year that I would sort of equate to the equivalent of Virginia two years ago, where it's like, 
or North Carolina last year were, you know, are, are these great teams? No, but they're really good and they can beat you if you were off. Like Cincinnati, Wisconsin, Virginia Tech, we'll see. USC, certainly. North Carolina, certainly. Um, you know, Virginia is on there, very well coached at Virginia. Um, it's It could be a tricky season, but um, it's going to be a fascinating season. In a lot of ways, like I'm looking forward to this offseason if we get ever get back to normal because there's just going to be a lot more stories to tell than maybe there was last year. And last year was a very fun team to cover. So we'll see. But, you know, now Jack Cohn is part of it. Um, a new quarterback always adds um, about 27 more stories to my, <laughs> my quota for the year. So that, that'll be a fun thing to cover. But, um, yeah, unless you've got anything else, we can, we can wrap up our first off season of the Shamrock and, I don't know. Maybe a more. It may be a much more active off season than we had anticipated. It's going to be more active just because even talking to people there, it's like the portal, the eligibility rules. Like we can't take a break right now, like we normally would when the season ends. It's just different. Um, there's a point in this podcast where we'll stop talking about Clark Lee, but I will shout him out here because he hired another Shamrock guest, Borden Simmons, <laughs> to be his chief of staff. Which again, for you listeners. And Jesse Temple, if he moves up in the world and, and takes all of our jobs someday. Um, Shamrock has, has had a lot of success, has become quite the, the stepping stone, if you will, uh, for, for, for people to move Who up Who knows in the world. What, what's next for Mike Tirico? I mean, <laughs> replacing Al Michaels someday, yeah. maybe. <laughs> all sorts of big things happen. To our, but, but by the way, CJ Spiller was the guest of Rubbing the Rock, uh, Grace Raider, Nicole Arbach's Clemson podcast on site in New Orleans last year for the championship game and he yeah. was a, a full-time coach on Clemson in the semifinal this year uh, when they lost Ohio State so it may just be an athletic podcast network uh, boom that everyone's getting could be could be alright well that's it for this episode of the Shamrock we'll be next week we'll be back next week to talk a little big picture post uh, Ohio State Alabama we have uh, one of my favorite people John Walters scheduled to come on the show Notre Dame grad uh, writer of the bubble screen at the athletic and many, many other things over the years. Uh, so a good big picture Notre Dame guest. So until then he's Matt Fortuna. I'm Pete Sampson. Thanks for being with us on the latest episode of the Shamrock. Mm-hmm.